So God bless them as they go, and uh, we're continuing over here on our side in the book of Romans. We're in part 10. I mean, the book of Romans has how many chapters? We'll test your knowledge. You, you can cheat if you want. How many chapters? Book of Romans. 16. Good. Yeah. So book of Romans, Bible's New Testament. This is Paul, the, the, the apostle, the, the man who formerly persecuted the church is now the church's greatest advocate. He writes one of his letters to the church in Rome, the place that he had not yet visited when he writes them the letter. And we've been running through uh, the book of Romans, which is filled with so many great themes and so many great topics. Some have said that if they were to have the choice to have one, just one book of the Bible, and they were maybe stuck in prison somewhere and they could only get one book, they would want the book of Romans, okay? If you want to know what Christianity is in a really thorough sense, that's a really good book for you to read. Uh, I said it last week, but just, for, just to repeat it, when you read these letters, uh, Paul writes several of them in the New Testament. You know, he writes to the church in Rome. He writes to the church in Ephesus and Colossae and Thessalonica and so on. He writes letters to his sort of protege, uh, Timothy. When he writes a letter, and you can tell it's a letter just by reading the intro, try and read the whole letter in one shot. I know that that sounds really hard to do. And you, re you say, I'm reading, I don't have a clue. I don't understand what they're saying. I'm an advocate of reading the whole thing in one shot. I think you are smart enough. I think you can understand. I think that God will help you to understand. You don't have to piece together every single word and every single concept. But folks, when you get a letter from someone, do you read one line of it every day? No, you read the whole thing. And especially if it's someone you know important, you'll probably read the whole thing. Say, man, this is a long letter. Yeah, but uh, what's the, you know, it could be very significant to your life. So why do we read the Bible one line at a time and one verse at a time? I don't get it. So try and read the whole thing in one shot. I know Romans is 16 chapters. You maybe take you a few shots to do that, but you might be surprised how you will get the gist more. One book that I would challenge you to do this with, Revelation. Seriously. I, I remember hearing a story of a, of a missionary. He was stuck in traffic. I forget where, maybe it was Thailand. He read the whole book of Revelation in traffic because it wasn't moving. 22 chapters. He said it like changed his whole perspective, read the whole thing in one shot. Well, the bulls, the trumpets, the, this, that. Read the whole thing, folks. It's got a major theme, right? So anyway, try to take big chunks of this book of Romans. Last week, we did uh, three chapters in one shot. Today, we're going to do two verses, only two verses. Yes, I said that, two verses. And we're going to answer the question, how can I know God's will? Big question that people have. How can I know God's will? Now, this question is often thought of as very mysterious to people. They think the will of God is a mystery. Who can fathom it and so on? And it is true. In the Bible, you do see an element of mystery to the will of God, but that's not the full story. That's not the full picture that 
that the Bible portrays about the will of God. And folks, there are places in the Bible where it says, God's will is that you so and so. It says that like word for word. That's really clear, right? And there's this idea that it has to be foggy all the time and it has to be mysterious all the time. No, it doesn't. And tucked into the book of Romans in two little verses is a pretty clear process as to how a person can know God's will and what the will of God is, sometimes in a very, very specific sense. You will find this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It goes this way. Therefore, and as I say, always remember what the therefore is there for. This is not, this is a... a this is sort of a conclusion to a whole bunch of things that the author has said before. Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve, test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He starts the passage, therefore, in view of God's mercy. Now, the mercy of God is what we covered last week over three chapters, Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11. And he's dealing with the broad question of his own people, Israel, and why they were not following the way of Jesus and why they, in many senses, rejected Jesus. I mean... Folks, after Paul became a follower of the Jesus that he was persecuting, he was persecuted by his own people. He was persecuted by the Romans as well, but he certainly was persecuted by his own people, just as he had persecuted his own people for following Jesus. So it, 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 uh, Paul discusses this whole thing in Romans 9, 10, and 11, and we talked about the mercy of God and how he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Uh, Paul uses the Pharaoh from the Exodus story as an example, how he hardened the heart that was already hardened and worked with that hardened heart and hardened that heart more for the deliverance of Israel and how God has done the same thing in part temporarily to a segment of Israel now and harden their hardened hearts so that the full number of non-Jewish people would come into the kingdom. And this is an elaborate discussion that we went over uh, to some measure last week. This word here, when you're dealing with just two verses of the scripture it sometimes helps to pick at the original language. The Bible is not written in English. You're looking at a translation there, and sometimes it helps to pick at the language that it's written in, which is, which is the common Greek of the day, and you don't have to speak Greek to do this. You just need to know how to use certain tools that are really easy to use 
uh, to understand some of this language. In view of God's mercy. This is a word that is used by Paul before. He uses it in Romans 9 and 15, which we talked about last week. Uh, what shall we say then? Is God unjust? I mean, you're saying that he hardens one person's heart. He has mercy on one person. And that seems unjust. And Paul says, no, God is not unjust. For he says to Moses out of Exodus 33, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion, same word, just the verb, compassion on whom I have compassion. So what is the mercy of God that Paul wants you to have in view? It is the same mercy or compassion that God says uh, he has in Exodus 33. This is the mercy that God wants you to understand. So God will have compassion on who he has compassion. And this is his decision. This is his sovereign power. He says this to Moses in Exodus 33, right after the people make this golden calf. And there's this whole incident of, of uh, the, the throwing down of the stone tablets and so on. And God is communicating to Moses. He says this to him. Paul airlifts this, put, puts this into Romans chapter 9. So in view of this, in view of this mercy, so God will harden the heart temporarily so that others will come in and then God will reverse it. And then he says, all Israel is going to experience a kind of a national salvation, a national revival in the future. This is God's business. This is God's power. This is God's sovereignty. This is his dealings with people in view of this he will give three imperatives you can call them an imperative means something you have to do it's something that's said with some force in the bible three clear imperatives to knowing god's will and he goes through them very very quickly number one he says offer your bodies as living sacrifices so you understand the mercy of god you understand the compassion of god therefore offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to god full stop so if you're a reader in that time you will look at this passage because it contains the word sacrifice and it will make you think of things because back in that time, especially the Jewish people, they had sacrifices, didn't they? Tell me what they were. Go ahead, shout it out. Animals, yeah. And those animals, were they alive when, the, when they were sacrificing them or were they not? I mean, well, they were alive and then they did what to them? They killed them. They would, they would typically they would slaughter the animal and you see several of these things in the, in, the, in the Old Testament of what we call the Old Testament of the Bible. And you see a rather specific system of sacrifices where animals, it could be a bull, it could be a, a sheep, all different kinds, even birds sometimes. They were slaughtered in a very, very particular way, a very specific way. They were chosen in a very specific way. There is a case of a live sacrifice. There's a scapegoat, they called it, where they would symbolically place their hands on the goat 
putting the sins of the people on the goat, and then they would send the goat alive out into the wilderness. They called this a scapegoat. But most of the sacrifices, aside from the scapegoat, were presented to God dead. They slaughtered the animal, and they presented the animal to God, or maybe they would burn it, and the smell would be presented to God. This was their system, folks, and it was used for various things in various ways. And here you have Paul saying, ah, in view of God's mercy, you know what the sacrifice is now? You, but alive. You, but alive. A living sacrifice you present yourself to God, the sacrificial system of animals and so on is, it's implied that this is now passe. If you're offering yourself as a living sacrifice, well, what about all the rest? It implies that that's going to go. Sure enough, within uh, not even a generation of Paul writing this, the Romans come in, the temple is destroyed at the culmination of the Jewish wars, AD 66 to AD 70. It's never since been rebuilt. No more sacrificial system at the temple. The whole thing is obliterated just like that. Well, here Paul is saying, even in advance of that, you present yourself, your very bodies, as a living sacrifice. It's not the animal anymore, it's you, and it's you alive. Now, these things were chosen very, very specifically and presented to God in a very, very specific way and even slaughtered at the time in a very specific way. How are we to present ourselves to God then? Well, he says so, holy and pleasing to God. All right, so <laughs> you've got to get the weight of this. What he's saying, what he's calling the Christ follower to is holiness. He's saying you want to know the will of God. If you understand the mercy of God and you want to know the will of God, step one, you present yourself to God, but you present yourself to God in a certain way. He wants you, I'll use a theological term, he wants you to be sanctified sanctified set apart for him say yeah but what he wants us perfect i mean we have to be perfect when we come to god no i don't think he's calling for perfection here but what he's saying is you, you when you come to him and you want to know his will and you claim to understand his mercy there's an obligation that you now have to start to clean up your life to start to practice sanctification now, when you come to Christ, God sanctifies you. He sanctifies you by the, the ultimate sacrifice of his son. Easter, we, we celebrate this. And Jesus on the cross, it is finished, paid in full. The sin debt of humanity is now paid in full. So the follower of Jesus is sanctified by the work of Jesus. This is true. But the follower of Jesus then has to practice this and then has to follow suit and say well now now i've got to start to change certain things in my life need to change and he's calling this is a very succinct call to holiness in the way that a person lives specifically what they do with their body 
present your bodies as living sacrifices. Folks, when I look at the 21st century, especially in Western culture and civilization, there's an awful lot of things that people are doing with their physical bodies that are not holy. An awful lot. Folks, there's broad areas that you can cover here and you can get into detail and go on and on with this. I would say floating right at the top of the spectrum, the whole area of human sexuality is at a point that it is, I don't think it's ever been in Western culture. Folks, there's no holds barred. There's no rules of the game anymore. We're the gods of it. We're the ones creating it as we go. We're making it up as we go. We're doing anything we want with anyone we want, any, any way we want, and, you know, we'll see what happens. It, it, this is an area that God is calling people to be sanctified in. And, folks, even in Christian circles, even in church circles, it, it's still true today and probably getting worse, folks. The, the availability and the consumption just of pornography in church circles. I know this is making some of you uncomfortable, but even in church circles, folks, it is pervasive, very pervasive. It's not just a man problem. It's a woman problem, too. I've sat down with men and women who their, their lives are controlled by this. Secretly, yes, but their lives are controlled by it. God is saying you have to practice holiness in your life. If you claim to understand the mercy and the compassion of God, you want to know his will, you've got to start making choices to clean it up. Folks, I, I could focus a few, for a few seconds on uh, narcotics and, and the drug use. Folks, even in Canada, the opioid crisis Maybe it's not so bad in Quebec, I'm not sure, but there are parts of Canada where, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, people can't stop it, folks. Like the consumption of this stuff is killing people, it's killing young people in droves. This is an area that God, no way, you've got to start to make choices to clean this up. The excesses that we fill our lives with Folks, I'm not going to go down the alcohol or, you know, are you allowed to have a drop or not a drop? Forget that argument. Everybody agrees that the abuse of alcohol, this is sin, folks. This is going to ruin your life. God is saying to you, you've got to clean that stuff up. There's so many areas, and I mean, we have our own physical bodies. This is what we live in. This is what we operate in. And God is saying, you want to know my will? You understand my mercy? You've got to be about the practice of sanctification. A couple of inspiring pictures here. Uh, this fellow's name is Zion Clark. I have not edited that photo. He has no uh, lower body. He's got no legs. He's got no hips. All he has is a torso and arms. He is a Greco-Roman wrestler. He is a sprinter. He holds the record for the 40-meter dash on two hands. He could probably run 100 on two hands in 15, 18 seconds. Folks, that's, that's really good, okay? You have to look this guy up and watch what he does and watch how he runs. It's quite something. And I look at this, this verse, you know, present your bodies as living sacrifice. That's all he's got, folks. He's got half of it. 
and he uses it to the full. It's, you, you, I know what you're thinking to yourself. How does he, and how does he, look it up, okay? Look him up. He's a real guy, and uh, he's quite a physical force. Uh, that's one person. Another one who I know is a, is a Christ follower is this man, Nick Vujicic. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And that's all he's got, folks. No arms, no legs. He just got a little thing at the bottom there that he uses to swim. He's actually a good swimmer. Married, has three or four kids. Uh, a powerful a motivational speaker. He's a, a very strong Christian, but he speaks in Christian circles, non-Christian circles. This is a guy who's learned to present himself to God. This is all he's got. That's all he has, folks. He doesn't have all of the other parts that we have, and he's done a pretty good job at presenting himself to God. It's a call here to holiness in your life. This is holy and pleasing to God. Uh, number two, he says, do not conform or in some translations, don't keep conforming. And there's the Greek word there, at least transliterated into English, any longer into the pattern of this world. Don't be conformed. What he's saying here is there is an obvious pattern of the age there, and this is not about politics. This is not a, this is way beyond that. This is about the way that people think. And he's saying there's a mold when a person is without Christ, there is a way that you start thinking and that way has to change. Don't conform any longer to that pattern. Don't fit into that mold. That's what the word meant back then. It's used one other time by uh, Peter in his letter, his first letter that we have in the New Testament, uh, chapter 1 and verses 13 to 14, almost exactly the same way. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed at his coming. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. You didn't know any better before. Now you know better. Do not conform to that way of thinking. And by implication, do not conform to that way of living. It's as if the, uh, the age or the God of this age, who Paul talks about all over the place in the New Testament, he's talking about the devil there, wants to shape you into a certain mold. He wants you to think a certain way. He wants you not to depend on God. He wants you not to trust in God. He wants you not to have faith in God. He wants you to reject Jesus. He wants you to live for yourself. He wants you to be the, the God of your life. That's the premise of modern Satanism is that you are the God of your life. Never mind this Jesus. Never mind any of this. This is a principle of modern day Satanism. You are the God. Rebel against all the other religious junk. You become your own God. You are your own boss. And Christianity would say the reverse and say, no, that's your problem is you. 
You need to follow Jesus and stop being conformed into the pattern of this world. Don't be shaped into its mold. A great book uh, to read, uh, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, which is a kind of um, back conversation uh, with demons as to how they're going to deviate people and keep people away from God. What would they do? How would they do it? It's a brilliant, brilliant book. Um, uh, illustration of this, if you've watched the Chosen uh, streaming series that I, that I challenge you to watch this streaming, about, uh, streaming series about the life of Jesus and so on, it's all free. If you watch the intro of it, you will see this image and uh, you've got the, all these fish, these gray fish going in, in one direction, as you see. But these green fish start, start popping up, and they're going in the opposite direction. And at the end of the clip, you see 13 of them. And the 13 is for Jesus and the 12 disciples. It starts with one, and then there's more and more and more. And they're going the opposite way. They are not conforming to the pattern of this world. They're going the opposite way. You know, you see here a... Um, a bunch of molds of these little ducks, and they all look the same. They're all shaped into a certain pattern. And then you've got one, and they're a different color. They're going a different way. This is what's being illustrated here. Do not conform to that any longer. Before, you didn't know any better. Now you know better. So you've got to change the way that you think and don't be systematized into this world's way of thinking because the God of this age wants to deviate you from God and you have to constantly be vigilant against that. And while you're at it, here's number three, be transformed. There's the Greek word there. It means to be changed in form. We get the modern word uh, metamorphosis from this old word. Be transformed, be changed in form. How? By the renewing of your mind. Again, we're talking about the mind here. Don't, don't be conformed into a certain way. On the other hand, be changed in your form, in the way that you think, by the renewing of your mind. This word is used also in the transfiguration of Jesus in um, uh, Matthew chapter, here, I'll go forward here. Uh, yeah, Matthew chapter uh, 17, Mark chapter 2, you see that Jesus is transfigured on the mountain there. His whole face changes, his countenance changes supernaturally, and you've got uh, uh, Moses and Elijah who appear up on that mountain, and they're having a conversation with Jesus, Matthew 17, Mark 9. This is the word that's used, same thing, be transformed. Jesus was transfigured. Paul will use it in 2 Corinthians 3. And he says this, We all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and being transformed, same word, into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So this is not just calling for you to to adjust. This is a whole transformation. It's a whole change in the way that you think. I'll use a popular word, narrative. 
that narrative that's in your head all the time, Paul is saying you've got to change that narrative. Watch out that it's not what the, this age wants you to conform to and change the whole thing. You've got to metamorphosize that whole narrative in the same way that you saw Jesus transfigured, in the same way that Paul says that your everything changes when you come to Christ. It's got to change on the inside right up in your mind as well. Then... After all of that, then you will be able to test and approve. Test? You could test God's will? Test and approve, it says in my translation, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's the word there. He uses this word in the same letter, Romans chapter 1. He will use it uh, in the introduction. He says, I thank God. Uh, through Jesus for all of you. Your faith is being reported all over the world. Uh, God, whom I serve uh, in preaching the gospel, is my witness, is how I pray for you, how I remember you. I pray that now at last, by God's will, same word, the way may be opened for me to come to you. You can know God's will, he says. Chapter 2, verse 18, same word. And he's, he's uh, challenging the religious folks here. And he says, you, you call yourself religious. You call yourself a Jew. You rely on the law. You boast in God. You say you know his will and approve of what is superior because you're instructed by the law. Well, then why do you behave in such and such a way? And he will challenge them using this word. But it's the same word here. You can test and approve what his will is. And here in chapter 1 of Romans, it was the will of, uh, of God to, for Paul to visit the people. Seems like a very practical, very perhaps non-important thing. And he's saying, once you have done this, you understand the mercy of God. You offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You do not conform. You be transformed. Then you will be able to test it and you will be able to approve it. Say, how do I test it? Pastor, like, how are you supposed to test who you're going to marry? What are you going to do? Marry them and then do a test? And if it doesn't work out, like, how does that work? Well, in a case like that, you might want to try, you know, dating first the person or spending some time with the person. But that's a, what is that, folks? It's a test. And he, what he's saying is you can test the will of God. You don't have to be afraid to do it. You can boldly test the will of God and know, well, I need to know, should I, should I take this job or should I take that job? Well, folks, go to the interview. <laughs> go to the interview. Go to the second interview and see because it will become clear to you, he's saying. Why will it become clear? Well, because you've understood the mercy of God. Well, because you've presented yourself as a living sacrifice. You've changed the way that you think. You're not conforming to the pattern of this world. You've been transformed by the renewing of your mind. It, it makes perfect sense, folks. You would be able to be in a, in a, in a place with God that you will know. No, it's not this job. It's that job, isn't it? Yes, it is. You have just tested the will of God. But many people do not get to that place because they don't want to do the heavy lifting of getting there. I mean, you can, you can have it either way, folks. You can live in a fog 
and have a kind of an, a totally a ambiguous and unclear understanding of the will of God, almost like it's rolling the dice every day. Or you can say, no way, I want to be in sync with what God wants for my life. This works for young people. This works for seniors. It works for anybody. But you have to do the heavy lifting that he's requiring here in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's only two verses, folks. But you shift your life around these two verses, and wow, you will see things happen that wouldn't have happened before. You will, you will be in places doing things, experiencing things, because you're in a place of a relationship with God that you, what you are at that point is you're a, starts with D, you're a, you're a disciple. You're a disciple. You're a follower. You're a student of Jesus. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Everybody's got their issues. Everybody's got their sins that they're dealing with. But what it means is, hey, I've taken this very, very seriously. And this is what I want to know God, to know Jesus, and to know his will for my life. If there are musicians uh, within the sound of my voice, you want to come to the platform. We're just going to finish up by praying here and give you plenty of time um, uh, to talk and so on and you know, pick up your kids and all that. I want to finish quickly today. Uh, but folks, um, the, the real work that takes place when it comes to these passages, it's not on Sunday mornings, is it? It's in your own personal life. It's, it's your life. These are the choices that you make. Nobody can make them for you. But folks, it's right here in the scripture. And as you read it, I think the first thing that you would say is, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense, but what am I willing to do to make that happen? Father, I pray for each person who is here, uh, people who are in the room, people who are online, and I pray, oh God, uh, that by the, the, uh, the gentle prompting of the Spirit, you can go ahead and place, no problem, by the gentle prompting of the Spirit, uh, Lord, that the, the, the same God who spoke so clearly to to Moses and to uh, Jacob and to David and to Mary, the, the, that same God uh, would challenge us and would speak to us uh, that even in this world, even with all of the stuff that we have on our plate, uh, Lord, that we would take what you were telling us to heart. I pray for those, oh God, who they're silently struggling with sin that has overtaken them. And uh, Lord, they need a, a breakthrough in their lives. I, I pray for those and they recognize that there is a definite way that the world wants them to think. And they see that, Lord. Would you enable people to say, no way, I won't conform to it. Lord, may we be hungry for you and for your ways and for your word. And may we be hungry to obey passionately and to see you uh, first and front and center in our lives, whether we're young people, whether we're seniors, Lord, may we have a passion for you to see you glorified in us. We pray today in Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. The Lord bless you today. Feel free to hang around a little bit. I'll be over here. If there's visitors, you can give me your card there. Visit at the desk as well. God bless you. Remember to pick up your kids. Have a great, great week. Annual meeting Tuesday, Saturday, water baptisms. God bless you, everyone.